Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious... You'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else Tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm the ex formerly known as John Lovett. There we go. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's show, Donald Trump is still crushing the field in a pair of Iowa and South Carolina polls that officially qualify multiple candidates for the first debate. The DeSantis campaign has finally landed on a let Ron be Ron strategy. We did we predict? I feel we, like we said that that I, he was going to have to say someone was going to say. I don't know if I it. said it on the podcast or somewhere else in life, but Which we've definitely been saying it. Joe Biden's campaign builds an unconventional operation to take on the Republican nominee, and later New York Congressman Dan Goldman stops by to chat with Tommy about prosecuting Donald Trump and the latest House Republican antics around Hunter Biden and RFK Jr. If you send a direct message on Twitter, is it a DMX? Oh. I just Jesus. think it's important to think about. Did you see that um, Microsoft ha- and, and Meta have the trademark for X? I did. So X literally not going to give it to you. <laughs> well, it's so Meta. Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about some news? <laughs> but first, no third indictment just yet. Although by the time you hear it, who knows? Who knows, who knows? Who knows? by the time you hear this? Let's go, Jack. Uh, though Judge Aileen Cannon did set a trial date for Trump's second indictment, the Republican frontrunner is scheduled to stand trial on May 20th, 2024, for stealing highly classified documents from the White House. Trump's volume of uh, deranged truths has also picked up considerably over the last 48 hours, so maybe something's coming there. He's now sharing posts that accuse the government he led of staging the January 6th attack on the Capitol. He also made a threat on an Iowa radio show last week that if he's convicted and imprisoned, his fans might do something even worse. Is it something that concerns you of, of you know, of the people making sure that they don't go out of their right mind if something like that happens? Because I know what I'm thinking of could happen if that, for example, they do say Jack Smith says, OK, I'm going to put Donald Trump in jail. I think it's a very dangerous thing to Mm -hmm. even talk about uh, because we do have a tremendously passionate group of voters. And I mean, maybe, you know, maybe 100, 150. I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. Much more passion than they had in 2020 and much more passion than they had in 2016. I think uh, it would be very dangerous. Where does the 100 and 150 come from? I just noticed. (laughs) Yeah, what's that count from? I also like the question is, are you concerned? Are you concerned? (laughs) Yeah, he's really concerned. You can tell. So his message here, Trump's message here is that the insurrection was a false flag operation that could also happen again if he's held accountable for breaking the law. Uh, You guys think we'll hear that uh, defense from his lawyers in court? 
Yeah, and, and it's just I think it's worth noting that this conspiracy theory that uh, that January sixth was a false flag operation that the sort of a FBI plant led everyone to charge the Capitol has been around for a while. And a guy named Ray Epps, who is a former member of the Oath Keepers militia, uh, had to sell his house and move because he was getting threats from other crazy right wing people who suggested he was some sort of FBI plant. He is absolutely not. There's no evidence to 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 prove any of this, but Trump and Steve Bannon and all these guys have latched onto it to push this false flag narrative. And it's very scary. Yeah, two thoughts. One, if you, you you can not call that you can't call this a strategy of any kind. But if it is, it is not a legal one. It is just a thrashing PR campaign uh to 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 make uh to sort of excite the base and keep Republicans in the fold. But what's striking about it to me is, you know, one thing we've noticed over the years about all these different attorneys who've been involved in sundry Trump investigations is they become so um, radicalized in favor of prosecution. Like you see it out of the people that came out of Mueller. You see it out of all these different investigations. And I just think, you know, you're you're working on this case. There have been death threats against prosecutors. You're working day and night looking at this brazen and ridiculous illegal activity by the former president of the United States. Is it all worth it? Should I fight again tomorrow? And then you turn on the television and he's learned nothing. He's doing it even more. And you just get a, a subway and you call it a day. Yeah. Get some, get some food. Get a, get a tuna foot long. Look, I just don't think it necessarily helps his case <laughs> to argue <laughs> that the violent attack was a secret FBI operation but also threatened that his supporters may do it again if he's convicted. It was an FBI plant, but also they might do it again. And this whole, it's like he's had so many different, this is where he's going to have some uh, some issues uh, when this indictment comes down. He's had so many different explanations for January 6th. Like let's, on June 22nd of, of this last year, he said January 6th was not a simple protest. It was not a simple protest. It represented the greatest movement in the history of our country to make America great again. I had forgotten that he said that. Well, <laughs> and spot the lie. It's very similar to to the conversation he has with Brett Baer. You know, he goes on, he basically does like improv excuses and lies and justifications, but every single one would require a different fact pattern. Every single one is something a prosecutor can ask him at a trial. So every day he goes out and makes whatever defense attorney is still answering the phone's lives difficult, more difficult every single day. Uh, and even, even you know, he's getting on the phone with like Stefanik and McCarthy trying to strategize how the House investigations can help him run interference. None of that is going to make his legal arguments any stronger. None of that has anything to do with the actual threat he faces from the justice system. I think it's very scary and it's clearly a threat, but I think the good news is it's like some of the hardcore MAGA types have been out there saying to the other supporters, do not go to these protests. Do not back him. Do not get violent because he hung us all at the dry on January 6th and didn't pardon those people. And sure enough, there was a, a pretty small, relatively small crowd outside the courthouse when he was indicted for the second yeah. time. Look, it only takes one person. For sure. But for yeah, sure. At, the height of his, at the height of his powers while in the White House in a violent cause that was explicitly about keeping him in power, not protecting him in front of a courthouse, not stopping him even long before he could ever become president. Uh, what what was mustered? It was a violent attempt to overthrow the government. It hurt a lot of people. It caused a lot of damage. But he's got chaos and mayhem support. He doesn't have there's no revolution. Mm. What do you guys make of the May 2024 trial date for the uh, classified documents indictment? So here's why I think Trump was was truthing so angrily. I think he just figured out what his next year is like. 
<laughs> and it is a rough calendar. It's October October second, New York civil fraud trial. January fifteenth, second E. Jean Carroll civil defamation trial. Also the day of the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> also the day of the <laughs> don't forget. It's <laughs> a big one. Yeah. March twenty fifth, Manhattan hush money trial. May twentieth, the classified documents trial out of uh, uh, Florida. That there's and also we and still, still got we still got, got two Jack Smith, left. we got Jack Smith in D.C. We got the Georgia case. Yeah. So he's got his uh, he's heading out on his Trump's legal heirs tour. Yeah, you know he's got like a wedding or two also, right? I yeah. Mean, you, everyone's got a couple weddings. Yeah. Everyone's a year. got that. He's got to you fit know, in with this thing. I mean, this is a this is a terrible. He's, well, he's probably year. got to DJ a few weddings. Right. At Mar-a-Lago himself. Right. He's booked. I mean, he's I booked. He's busy. A, I know he's a DJ now. Look, forget forget that he was president. Forget everything else. This is a man about to face six independent trials you know i was thinking this the other day <laughs> so like annoying. Is, forget about like yeah presidents yeah. politicians has anyone faced this many trials, trials for separate crimes Good for question. separate crimes yeah for I separate mean, crimes in a year like i assume there's, there's gonna been, like be, we gotta call Guinness. this is like a it's getting up it's a record like, like i don't know how to the enron people but like, <laughs> like this is this is wild so jack smith wanted december of 2023 Trump's lawyers wanted never. <laughs> I guess they, technically they said they wanted uh, postponed indefinitely, but certainly after November 2024. Cannon landed in May, but of course it could still be postponed from May 20th. I Seems guess. very likely it'll be postponed due to pre due to it's and due to it says routine pretrial motions, right? The, the, the amount of, so according to the New York Times, the amount of discovery evidence that Trump's lawyers have to go through will include more than a million pages of unclassified material, nine months of surveillance camera footage, and 1,500 pages of classified documents. So yeah, they, they better gonna, get to work. It's going to take a minute. They better Here's, get to work. I wouldn't say that to the last minute. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, I think, rightful concern that the fact that it landed in Cannon's courtroom was nerve wracking for people that assume she would do everything she can to help Trump. We don't know yet if what's going to actually unfold, like what, what she can do. She still has a lot of uh, power. You know, she set this date. Maybe it's a date set so that she can postpone it again. Who knows? But when you see these three other cases and the fact that there are two more down, coming down the pike, you start to see that that he's going to need a lot more help. The other piece of it is <laughs> you look at like a, the primary schedule and we don't know when the Jack Smith or the Georgia cases could land, but it does seem like what we're heading towards is a period of time in which while Trump is running for the nomination, he has the microphone. Mm. He gets to describe it to voters. He gets to to talk over every his opponents. He gets to continue to define January 6th and his various legal troubles to his adoring fans. But then all of a sudden, perhaps after he has put himself on a path to be the nominee, then the trials begin. And then Trump no longer, the one, you know, Trump's approval rating never dropped faster or harder than during the insurrection because he could not overcome the video, the visuals that were coming out of what took place. And now all of a sudden he can talk all he wants, but trials look like trials and they have a rhythm all their own. Look, it's very possible that Republicans nominate someone who will be a convicted felon by the time uh, November 2024 comes around. It could happen between <laughs> it could happen between him getting enough delegates and the convention. Like yeah. it could happen in that in, that, look, in those the, months. And in that uh, you know Paris in thought. that scenario, it's possible if they were a sane party that Republicans could try to wrest the nomination from him at the convention. But who are we kidding? <laughs> look, <laughs> they're they're moving forward. And this is only like it is interesting that the that the March date for the I keep forgetting about the Stormy Daniels one. So that that trial could take a couple weeks and could get a guilty verdict there by April or May. In May. If if Cannon doesn't move it, you know that's still like two, three, four week trial. Suddenly think, you're in. I think like they said like six weeks is probably the minimum for that trial. So it's pre convention, which means it doesn't mean the party has time to 
remove him as the nominee. You're not officially nominated until I think July 18th is the final day of the Republican convention. It won't happen. We are not that lucky. This is just not forget about that. Just to see the fight. How fun would the fight be? It would be a great fight. Here's the thing. (laughs) But but like, I think what I'm taking away from seeing all these different trials unfolding is uh, I don't know how lucky we have to be. (laughs) That's the first. The other piece of this too is, yeah, but the other part of it too is once you add, you add the Jack Smith case, you add the Georgia case. And even if the trial, one of them slips, we're still staring at a spring, summer, and fall where potentially the dominant issue in front of voters is the most unsavory and unpopular position Trump has ever taken, which is, I don't really support democracy. It will become central to the campaign. You know, those images side by side, Trump on trial for insurrection and Biden campaigning, I don't know, on a road, you know, with a with a road and a shovel. That's so, pretty good. Some candidates do like Medicare Advantage plan rollouts or foreign policy speeches. Donnie's doing indictments and perp walks. Those are his message events. You think there'll be a step and repeat behind him outside the courtroom? Well, which court? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Because they're all going to want their own branding. He's gonna get at least to... one is, uh, well, I was going to say, any swing state court? Yeah, I guess the Georgia, he could spend time campaigning. Oh, oh wow. He can really, really make sure he's got yeah, like, he two c- birds. Commit a Wisconsin crime <laughs> next time, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> also, Trump's got a new lawyer said he wants... Uh, Trump wants cameras in the courtroom. It could just be something to say because he knows that they, they probably won't allow cameras in the courtroom. And then they'll say, oh, Trump wanted it. He wanted people to see what was going on there. That'd be uh, How great would that they be? They just watched that uh, that great new show, Jerry Diddy. The, you know, cameras in the courtroom ideas. would be, for this trial, would be amazing. I'm, uh, yes, <laughs> please. How do you please. do in the classified documents? Well, that's, it's that's, all confusing. That's why it's got to be, yeah, that one's be really tough. tough. That one's tough. So, um, most of Trump's primary opponents uh, still refuse to entertain the idea that he may have broken the law by attempting a coup. Uh, and some are even pretending that January 6th wasn't really an insurrection. Here's Tim Scott, Mike Pence, and Ron DeSantis. I hold the folks who broke into the Capitol with ill will in their hearts, destroying property, responsible for their actions. I don't hold the former president who didn't show up at the Capitol and threatened my life as responsible. While his words were reckless, based on what I know, I'm not yet convinced that they were criminal. President Trump was wrong on that day, and he's still wrong in asserting that I had the right uh, to overturn the election. But what his intentions were, and as you know, uh, criminal charges have everything to do with intent, uh, what the the president's state of mind was. And I I, I don't honestly know what his intention was that day. Uh, It was not an insurrection. These are people that were there to attend a rally and then they were there to protest. Now it devolved and, and, and it devolved in, into a riot, uh, but the idea that this was a plan to somehow over, to overthrow the government of the United States is not true, and it's something that the media had spun up. If somebody is honestly doing an insurrection against the U.S. government, uh, then prove that that's the case, and, and I'll be happy to accept it. Well, they've proved it many times. That's why they're all in fucking jail. <laughs> that is just fuck. That is the, wild. The most galling part of that is Mike Pence saying he didn't know what Trump's intentions were. Yeah, you did, dude. You talked to him. He You're one of to, the very few people who got to talk to him. Yeah, his intentions were that uh, he tried to kill you. Yeah, well, you just don't <laughs> have the, the guts to, to share what you learned. Well, also remember, I was it, for some reason, this made me think of the Kevin McCarthy phone call. Remember, McCarthy yes. calls Trump in the middle of the attack, and he's like, they're trying to kill me. And then Donald Trump's like, well, Kevin, I guess they're angrier about the results 
results of the election than you are, huh? Yep. And then he's like, they're fucking trying to kill me. They all <laughs> knew what the intention was. They all knew what. And also, the, the Jack Smith case is not about just January 6th, the day. It's about the sprawling effort to overturn the election. The, but what we just heard there, to me, is a, a story. It's like compounding political cowardice, right? Like, McConnell wouldn't impeach. You just talked about the Kevin McCarthy phone call. Right after that, he said that Trump bears responsibility, that Congress should yeah. censure him. And then he went crawling back down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring when he realized he needed Trump to get the votes to be speaker. So now here we are in a 2015 style conundrum where none of Trump's opponents will actually attack him for leading an insurrection because they all are trying to like win some sliver of his voters by taking oblique shots or running to the right of him on policy. And it's, it's failing miserably. How about how about hopeful, optimistic candidate Tim Scott uh, setting the bar at? Well, he didn't come try to kill me personally at the Capitol, well, now, so I don't. Now, I now, do not hold him responsible. Now, anyone now, who doesn't try to murder me, there, it's okay. I would like to say, uh, in defense of yeah, no, Senator Tim we, Scott, we and have hey, the Tim, Tim Scott spin zone over here. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> it's Timmy time, you guys. Uh, buckle your seatbelts because uh, we're on a rocket ship. But the uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Check out those IO polls. We'll get to it, but we're gonna get to that. But uh, feel the G forces. <laughs> okay. Feel the G forces. Okay. But but uh, he does say as responsible. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the here's the sad part of the question. That means he's responsible. They clearly think this is the only way they can win the Republican nomination. Those three, if they if they genuinely think they can win the Republican nomination, which I presume they still do, which because they're spending all this time on the race. Um, are they right? No. Let's talk about that Iowa poll. Because I think that tells the story. There's a there's a new Iowa poll out. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I assume John does in his yeah. intro to this segment. Sure, sure, sure. What, do you, what uh, we got? Trump, Trump forty six. Trump forty six. Ron DeSantis sixteen. Tim Scott eleven. Vivek Ramaswamy six. And Nikki Haley five. So this is the Tim Scott rocket ship. He's yeah. in double digits hey, in Iowa. That's two digits. Twice. We've doubling digits, baby. But it seems clear to me that all of the support that's going to Tim Scott and others is coming from Ron DeSantis. No one is chipping away at Trump here. He's still doing great. Yeah. So no, it's not working. They're fighting each other just oh, like 2015. It's definitely not working for sure. But when you look at the polls of how Republican voters feel about January 6th, 32% of, of Republican voters approve of what happened on January 6th. So that's fortunately low. That's a lot. That's yeah. unfortunately. I mean, <laughs> well, well get, get, I'm going to get to something worse. Okay, good. Yeah. Only 14% of Republicans describe Trump as very responsible for January 6th compared to 45% of all voters. In to This was a political poll uh, from earlier this year. They did a bunch of polls around the anniversary, and then they haven't done any since on January 6th. I'm sure we'll get more soon. Uh, in total... Only 31% of Republican voters said Trump was very or somewhat responsible for January 6th, even though 59% of all voters assigned that level of responsibility to Trump. Q poll from December, only 9% of Republicans think Trump's attempt to overturn the election was a crime. 81% say it wasn't criminal. And it's worth noting, too, Just that brutal. since that the numbers have slowly shifted, and it depends on how you ask the question, but roughly what, roughly two-thirds of Republicans uh, believe that the election wasn't wasn't legitimately decided at this point. They they sort of have bought into this, and it's sort of part of the like the hallmark of this era, which is when someone like Ron DeSantis is asked that question, is he is he saying what he believes that the base of the party also believes, or is he doing a shibboleth and signaling to them that he's not going to give in to the mainstream narrative because he understands that we're all in this fight together to protect, to, you know, to protect Trump or whatever it may be, because none of us can really, we can't tell these. Is there a difference? There isn't a difference. <laughs> there isn't a difference in practice, but I do think it's like, it's right. Cause he's not saying this is what I believe. He's saying, look at how I fight. 
I just think it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, no one believes the thing I won't make an argument for. Well, of course not. Now, yeah. am I saying that I would make this the thrust of my campaign if I were running against Trump? Absolutely not. I'd probably answer honestly and as briefly as I could. And then to the extent this is part of my argument, it would be, to me, about electability. Like, look, most of the country blames this guy for the insurrection. That's the last image they saw of him as president. That's why he can't win. Like that's what I would do. But yeah, I mean, I, I get totally the could do that. That would have been a great. That would have been a great answer. Well, like when <laughs> no one's fighting, no one's <laughs> making that I the case. Him to give that answer, but it's, no, no one's I mean, softening the ground. It's like it's, right. it's rock solid. It's another collective action issue too, because like all these Republican politicians in private would probably say, "That's what this is what the base thinks." Look at these poll numbers, right? But where do you think Republican voters take their cues from? They exactly. take their cues from the leaders of the party and from the people that the idiots that they see on TV who are also lying about this shit. Mm -hmm. So if that's all they ever hear, of course those, well, these polls are going to be. They can that. also look at Chris Christie, who has been out there trying to make right. us the argument. And what's what's happened? Trump's numbers hasn't moved. His numbers haven't moved. The only thing that's happened is more and more Republicans, when asked the question, say that he's an unpalatable candidate, the only person they couldn't vote for. Yeah, but he's rising in the polls a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not, you know, I mean, he's no Tim uh, no, Scott, but yeah, he's doing right. okay. He's only a couple couple points behind Tim Just Scott. Sand. Well, so as Tommy pointed out, whatever the other candidates are doing, it doesn't seem to be working. We heard the Iowa poll from Fox. There is also a South Carolina poll that they released. That's Trump 48, Haley 14, DeSantis 13, Scott 10, Mike Pence 4. Notice I didn't make, mention Mike Pence in the Iowa poll because he was under Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy at 6 and 5. So these results from these two polls officially qualify Trump, DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, Scott, and Chris Christie for the first debate a month from now. Mike Pence and Doug Burgum insist they'll qualify, but they haven't yet. Pence hasn't yet because he doesn't have the donors yet, though he does have the polls. And Burgum has the donors, but he doesn't yet have the polls. It's weird that you need the donors and the polls. Why wouldn't you just need the polls? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I guess because polls are like, it's hard to trust polls and, and like... Donors are like real, actual people. Like, yeah, you I guess can, it's the you know, maybe it's sort of enthusiasm. No, yeah, I think fair. the incentive structure has really, it's a mess. clearly has fucked up. Yeah, because yeah. Doug Burgum is just buying, buying donors at twenty dollars a pop. So for sure, right? What do you guys make of these polls? So thirty point lead in Iowa with six months to go. What do you think, Tommy? <laughs> I, I mean, I want to tell you my favorite part of this poll is that. Uh, we'll talk about the debate later, but Fox slipped in a question about what you think it means for a presidential candidate to skip the I debate. 59% uh, said shows a candidate's weakness rather than strength, 27%. That's just hilarious that Fox is like, we're hosting the first debate. Don't you think it's weak if you skip it? Also, though, <laughs> how cowardly to phrase the question like that instead of saying, what do you think about Trump skipping the debate? Right, which probably would have gotten a totally <laughs> right, different answer. Right, they wouldn't answer. have got it that much. It, right, it would have flipped it. it yeah. Yeah. I, look, I think I, both these polls show Trump is in very firm lead and that Ron DeSantis is hemorrhaging support. And I think there's room for other people to have these little uh, mini boomlets. But uh, it's humiliating for Mike Pence, like you said. Four in ten voters in the Iowa poll said they couldn't support him at all, ever. I mean, that is just devastating. He's done. Trump gets... The education divide was, per usual, in the Republican Party and in the electorate, the, the starkest mm -hmm. in, in both these polls. Trump in Iowa gets 57% of those without a college degree, only 33% of voters with. And the challenge for all these other candidates is, in the, within the Republican electorate, it's just an electorate that is more non-college educated than it is college educated. And that is especially true in a state like Iowa. It is especially true in South Carolina. It's not as true in New Hampshire, which is why that's probably of the three states Trump's worst state currently, even though he's still kicking ass. Trump's other best groups, voters under age 35. It's interesting that 
young people or one of his best groups, very conservative voters and voters who rarely attend religious services, though in South Carolina, white evangelicals are one of his strongest groups. So yeah. he's, it's just it's one of those things where across all categories, religious, not religious, yeah. old, young, he's well, just I, winning. And the young, well, on the, on the young front, it's sort of it's a self-selecting group of people, the kind of young people that are that are Republicans. Right. In the state of Iowa are going to be a pretty conservative Probably, bunch. And, but it actually yeah. more points to the other problem a lot of these candidates have, which is at least in 2016, there was a lane for going after more conservative and evangelical voters. But this poll found that across Iowa and South Carolina, the evangelical numbers track the main polling numbers. Yeah. The, the biggest issue that people care about, though, in the Iowa one was defeating Joe Biden and not on issues, which, again, makes you wonder, hey, Ron DeSantis, why are you running to the right of Trump on all these random issues instead of going after his electability? You moron. Well, this is why it's like it's wild. Uh, that the... The only sin that has turned Republicans against Trump over the years has been the sin of him not being electable, the sin of him losing. And the fact that they're not saying that these indictments are, are, are a sign that he can't win, that no one's making that argument. Even DeSantis, after his reboot, will get to it, but he's not even making that argument. They are advancing Trump's message, right? By saying that, like, e even though they're they're trying to say, well, it's let's, I'm just focused on the weaponization of the Justice Department and the two-tiered system. Well, that's Trump's message. <laughs> that's Trump's central message about his indictments. Here's where you're going to get excited, love it. Tim Scott, most opportunity to grow in Iowa. Only 12% say they'd never back him, which is the lowest of the major candidates. 90% are open to him. Mm -hmm. And he is drawing from a wide range of demographics. So he's drawing from moderates and from very conservative things. Everybody loves Tim Scott. <laughs> Tim Scott loves everyone everybody. Except, everyone except for like the uh, 80s, 90% who's backing <laughs> back in the they, other They don't dislike so Tim Scott. They just have two they great do, options. People, They've people got do not, two yeah, people great like Tim Scott. options. I think a quarter Look, of them said they didn't know enough to, about him to make a decision. To think about the privilege of being an Iowa Republican where you can choose between people as great as Trump and Scott, right? With DeSantis as your third choice, how cool is that? How cool is that? It's like there's like a Chili's, a Cheesecake Factory, and an Olive Garden right there, right there at the side of the road. We were talking about this earlier before we started recording, but it is interesting to me that in South Carolina, DeSantis has slipped to third, but it's not because Scott's in second, it's because Haley's in second. My guess is that just that she was got a very popular governor there and people know their governors a little bit more than they better than they know their senators. But yeah. that's my only guess. She also launched her campaign first. She had a bunch more events there, so who knows? Yeah. So Trump aides said to the Washington Post over the weekend, it's unlikely he's going to change his mind about skipping the first debate, despite pleas from his favorite Fox hosts. And not just privately, they're doing it on the air, apparently. It's so pathetic. I know. In addition to those polling questions that Tommy mentioned. What do you guys think are the political dynamics of a, a debate without Trump? That it seems like we are careening towards. Don't you imagine that he'll just hold his own big event and counter-program it and try to steal all of their thunder? I He's think threatening that. I think they've threatened that, and they said, like, maybe he might sit down with Tucker for Tucker's show to counter-program. Oh, no, no, not a, yeah. not a show on X. X, yeah. <laughs> well, the, oh, the, no. the, the point Trump made is, why would I do the debate? I'll just increase the ratings. Yeah. And, and then Fox is playing into that argument by being like, please come do the debate. We need the ratings. <laughs> and then he's smart enough to know that he'll just watch a bunch of B-team candidates attack each other instead of him and look like the B-team. And like, and Ramaswamy and Chris Christie have been out there being like, Trump's afraid to debate us if he's such a strong... Oh, Ramaswamy's been saying yeah, that Ramaswamy too. Yeah, Ramaswamy said it as well. Uh, he's he, No, Ramaswamy said it in the best way. He said, he said um, it, sh it looks like Trump... Trump might be afraid. I sure hope not. It doesn't seem like him. Something like oh that. <laughs> he could be a surprise, like, quote unquote, star of the debate without Trump on the stage because that guy doesn't have much to lose and he's just sort of swinging for the fences. I'm interested to see, like, how much Christie, how much time Christie spends going after Trump 
does Christie also try to light up DeSantis? Does anyone else try to light up DeSantis if Trump's not there because he's still number two and you might as well go after him? Like, what happens? I think Christie not only goes after Trump, but calls out everyone else for not having the courage to go after Trump, which we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll and then what happens? And then do they... Do they just like pivot or do they do they defend someone defend defend it. Trump? Absolutely. And that's so yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, I don't. Well, like if it weren't, if you put if you if Ramaswamy wasn't on the stage, you would think, all right, this debate is Chris Crispy, Chris Christie, Chris Crispy, Chris Crispy Chris, 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 Chris versus everybody else. And he's going to make that case against them. But with Ramaswamy there, he's sort of like a chaos agent. And then you have to think DeSantis, Haley, Scott. Someone up there is going to come with a plan that is ready for what to do when mm. Chris Christie does that kind of a broadside against the whole field and take it. But I don't know if it can be, it can't just be defend Trump. So you have to think Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis has to do a version in front of the debate audience of the argument for basically, you know, uh, get things done, Trump without the chaos. He has to kind of make that case. And that's the yeah. The question is how hard he does it. I think you just go with like the Ronald Reagan 11th commandment, thou shalt not attack other Republicans bullshit that everyone's used to and coming together for unity and being Joe Biden. Yeah. I could see Tim Scott and Doug Burgum doing that too. Doing the, the like, There's a lot of fighting up here, but I think we're fighting too much and we need to look forward. And blah, blah, blah. I can't see... Doug Burgum doing much of anything. So I honestly, if you if he was right here, I wouldn't. He is here. He's be been able here. To he's sitting, <laughs> <laughs> sitting quietly. Because he's dropping off our gift cards. Yeah. <laughs> we should votes. actually, honestly, we should bankrupt Doug Burgum. We should all do, take the $20 and donate the dollar. Why are we doing that? I mean, great idea. I know. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events.
So DeSantis slipping to third place for the first time in that South Carolina poll is just one of the many shitty headlines for his campaign lately. Lots of stories about shakeups and reboots over the weekend that have all the campaign classics. We got a donor telling Politico it's time to let Ron be Ron. We got a new media strategy that they're calling DeSantis is everywhere. <laughs> Ugh, it's a threat. The, we got the campaign. <laughs> like something we have to clean up. The campaign blowing through cash <laughs> on private planes and fancy hotels. We got infighting between the campaign and the super PAC. Meanwhile, the campaign briefly retweeted another bizarre video over the weekend that ends with a neo-Nazi symbol superimposed on a Florida flag. Uh, and the candidate spent the weekend threatening to sue Bud Light for sending a beer to a trans person. And he tried to explain a line in his state's new education curriculum that reads this. Quote, instruction includes how slaves developed skills which, in some instances, could be applied for their personal benefit. Here's DeSantis's response to that curriculum, followed by a fiery denunciation from uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. These are the vo- most robust standards in African-American history, probably anywhere in the country. I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. How is it that anyone could suggest that in the midst of these atrocities, that there was any benefit to being subjected to this level of dehumanization? So it seems like the DeSantis reboot is off to a strong start, huh? Uh, Of all of these DeSantis uh, imploding stories and details, of which there were many to comb through, which do you guys think are most politically consequential and which are just fun to mock? I mean, I I do think we like this comment he made about slavery is one of the dumbest, most offensive, like straight out of the lost cause revisionist history narrative things that I've ever heard a, a politician do. I know obviously it was his board of education, but they did it because of his stupid stop woke act. And it's just worth saying that even the examples that the Florida Department of Education held up as uh, uh, individuals who benefited from slavery, many of them were never enslaved. One of them was a poet and a writer. Uh, not a lot of slaves were taught how to read and write during slavery. So it's just like, it's outrageous on its face. It's frankly why critical race theory gets taught in the first place. So I do think it's just worth putting a stamp on what Kamala Harris said there and like explaining how outrageous this is. I also want to say about that too, there's a lot of uh, pro-DeSantis pundits on uh, on X <laughs> uh, arguing about how this was out of context. And they're like, look at the whole curriculum. Look at the... And it's like, yes. The entire curriculum does explicitly call for kids to learn about the many horrors of slavery. But still, why do you include that line? Why does anyone need to be taught that, oh, there were some skills that were useful later on? Why else would you teach that if, if, it not, if, if not for to like... It's apology. It's, it's, to, it's to apologize for slavery. Also, there were some silver linings. There were some silver linings. It, it's also bullshit. Again, his example was a blacksmith. Like people across Africa knew how to forge iron and other metals before slavery. You know, the the famous bronze statues that the British looted and took them to their museums, those were created in the 16th century. It also doesn't matter if you picked up a fucking skill yeah, at, just, while you were being uh, raped and tortured and dehumanized. It doesn't matter. It's wrong. It's offensive. It's <laughs> Listen, outrageous. I think I just want to add my two cents to this, which I also believe slavery was morally reprehensible That's and indefensible are, completely. Here we are. And as you know, Will Hurd, who's, uh, you know, almost at 1% some of these polls, uh, just made the point simply, which is no, slavery was not a jobs program, Ron, yeah. which I thought was pretty good. Chris Christie also attacked him for it. Too. It's just, uh, it's incredible. But I do think that like, this is part of like DeSantis thought that this anti-woke thing was his ticket 
to being like the Republican standard bearer, the person that could replace Trump, his way into the hearts of like the kind of rabid base of the party. But he keeps getting dragged into these ridiculous and embarrassing and extremist controversies that make him seem unelectable and undermines his his main argument, his main thrust for why he could beat Trump. Beat Trump. Yeah. yeah, he made his bed here. Yeah, like this this another crazy sort of uh, doomer edgelord video that had the Nazi symbol at the end. Like all of this shit that the the curriculum. There, the New York Times had this, the the uh, a little story, a little detail that the. Uh, homophobic slash homoerotic ad was actually made by a DeSantis staffer. Made in house, yeah. yeah, made in house. All these things, like I think, deeply hurt him in a general election. <laughs> should well, should he ever get there? <laughs> just too online, and of course, in your too online, too bubbly right wing campaign, of course, your your young video staffers are the most online of them all. Right, making this absolutely incomprehensible and hateful fucking gibberish that you're spreading on the internet because it because it makes you and a few other uh, Reddit trolls fucking laugh. Yeah, and like the, this narrative generally that his campaign is a mess and out of control, it's just a massive distraction. And it, it's infecting everything they do. And as Dan said, the media wants a blood sacrifice. They want like the campaign manager fired. It doesn't like look like Ron is ready to do that. But his whole argument was like, hey guys, I'm Trump, but I'm competent. You know, I can execute. Look no what chaos, I did in Florida. No it's like, you can't run your own campaign. And the profligate spending, I mean, they were having some donor retreat. They held it at something called the Stein Erickson Lodge in Deer Valley. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, July 24th. The cheapest room available is, tonight is $540. When is, we, we held a retreat like this in 2007, it was in fucking Des Moines. Is Deer Valley not one of the 99 Ooh, counties in Iowa? That looks nice. Are there uh, caucus goers looks that like hang a, out in Deer Valley? Uh, like, what are you doing <laughs> out there? I mean, I mean, also the fact that his fundraising, while, you know, it was decent, uh, was heavily, heavily dependent on very, very wealthy donors. Maxed out donors. Who now can't give again. And now they're blowing through all of that money on private planes because the candidate and his wife prefer traveling on private planes and fancy hotels. But then later in the story, you find out in the New York Times that uh, the candidate and his wife were also very surprised that they had spent that much money. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet they were. What? They, what? How do they think? How do they think they got to Deer Valley? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this this Southwest flight is nice. <laughs> wow, so well, just, I guess we got the A ticket. We go right to the A group. We go right to the runway. That's neat. Is that, that, is that A group plus? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I like, will have a hot compress. Thank you. <laughs> and then you mentioned this too. I mean, they're, they're, he has like a super pack with what, like 120 something million dollars that they're sitting on, but they can't even coordinate. Like our campaign finance system is so broken and terrible you're not allowed to coordinate but they with a super PAC if you're a federal campaign but everyone does it through like unofficial statements and and uh, memos and shit and the DeSantis campaign put out a memo attacking the super PAC for not spending more money in New Hampshire I believe not, put, not putting any ads on the air up it's, in New Hampshire and yet. then it came out that the campaign manager freelanced and did that without telling the rest of the staff like everything is leaking well, well the best thing is not, yeah. only the, not only did they not listen to the uh, campaign memo the super PAC did not get the memo did not get the hint from the memo that said we will not see New Hampshire which was a hint to them to go up on New Hampshire they said fuck you we're not going to do it Ron DeSantis did an interview with Fox where they asked him oh, about, about, about his positive ads. And he's like, you know what? I can't I don't control the super PAC, but pretty soon they should be lighting up the air with some real positive ads about me. They have not. Yeah, done this that. is the sorry, <laughs> I, he said, I imagine they're going to be lighting up the airways pretty soon with a lot of good stuff about me. And that's going to give us a great lift. Since then, the super PAC has not aired a positive ad <laughs> or gone up in New Hampshire. It's very it's very like um, it's like, can you tell can you tell the super PAC that I'm mad at them? 
And then Superman's like, well, we know you're mad at us, but we don't care because we're going to do what we think is right. It's like, oh, well, well, can you just tell them that we heard that and we don't accept it? And we would really appreciate some positive ads. I, it's just one more great quote from the campaign manager in a memo uh, that we have to talk about. All DeSantis needs to drive news and win this primary is a mic and a crowd. <laughs> yeah, Wait, so going we need to... to we need to we need to hear Ron DeSantis more. Meanwhile, every like every one of those wacky videos, yeah, give him a mic and a crowd, and he's like, <laughs> the best ads for Ron De- DeSantis. You never hear his voice. The uh, the other the other as part of one of these various uh, uh, reboot stories, I thought this statement from the spokesperson was revealing. The media and DC elites have already picked their candidates: Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis has never been the favorite or the darling of the establishment, and he has won because of it every time. He's literally, most of his fundraising was because, like, the the richest part of the Republican establishment pitched in. <laughs> and it just goes to, like, does, like, who do you think you're talking to? Who is who who is who is going to buy into that argument? What Republican voter believes? You know the, you know the DC believes, media elites love, love Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah, what voter, what person <laughs> that pays attention at all to any of this is like, ugh, I'm sick of these establishment candidates. Yeah, that, that like Donald Trump, <laughs> Andrew Romero. I think is the spokesman. It's like twelve different versions of the same Baghdad Bob quote. It's just absolute nonsense. But it's just like, okay, you can do any re- reboot you want. Like, what is your argument? Yeah. Like, what I, argument are you changing? Because like, you've been out there for Jake a long Tapper. time. Okay, what more do you want? I, I didn't want to do a whole nother section on DeSantis today, but like he's given us no choice. No, they just they're the, the reboot, shake up, embarrassing stories. They just keep coming. We'll try to hold off on DeSantis for a while. We'll see. Will we? Well, we'll see. Well, maybe he won't make news. The voters are. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, the Biden campaign's feeling confident and they're building a, a somewhat unconventional operation to take on the Republican nominee. The Washington Post did a deep dive on what they're calling the hidden Biden campaign, which is a move to outsource a lot of their operation to the DNC state parties, state organizations, outside groups. Uh, Politico reports that the Biden campaign is also feeling hopeful about flipping North Carolina for the first time since uh, Obama did in 2008. And Axios notes that the Republican arguments against Biden on crime, immigration, and inflation are starting to crumble, even as the president's approval ratings are still stuck in the low 40s. Let's we'll start with the Post story. The operation that it describes is very different from the campaigns we worked on. Uh, what do you make of the strategy? I mean, it seems to me to be entirely uh, driven by fundraising. There was a, We talked about this when, when Biden's fundraising numbers came out, but in 2014, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, they changed campaign finance law that struck down limits on the aggregate amount a person could donate to federal candidates and to political party committees. So before that ruling, your donation to candidates, parties, and political committees was capped at $123,000. Now there's no limit. So if you can work through these, the DNC and other state and party organizations, you can go to big donors and say, hey, can you cut us a $900,000 check and <laughs> raise a lot of money pretty fast that way, as opposed to raising 3300 for the primary, 3300 for the general, which is what you can get directly into Biden's presidential campaign itself. So it seems like that's why they're doing this. I think there's an obvious upside there. The, the risk is that sounds very challenging to coordinate to me. Yeah, you'd need a, I mean, look, the the... Uh, an incumbent of either party running for re-election is always basically going to control the DNC or the RNC, but the coordination has always been a bit of a challenge. Trump did this, though, in in 2016 and 2020 with the RNC. The RNC basically ran the whole campaign. Yeah. Uh, most of the staffers were there. Most of the field operation was run out of the RNC. You can, st- like, I remember in 2012, even though we still had a, a big operation in Chicago, the DNC was still like work for all intents and purposes working for the Obama campaign. So this is just like 
Now the DNC is basically under the Biden operation doing everything, polling, research, message testing. It's basically not separate. It's like part of the campaign. And legally, all you need to do is to make, sh- is to make sure whatever you're doing benefits Democrats and not just Biden. So anything that DNC does just has to throw in Democrats, too, just for legal purposes. Yeah, so, and you've seen that. Like, this is a this is sort of um, you've seen ads like this. And this has been a part of campaigns for a while, because even before the limits were raised, you could still donate more to the DNC than you could to an individual campaign. And so a lot of times you'll see an ad and it will say, thanks to uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats, we're investing in infrastructure. And that's an ad that can be paid for out of the DNC. So it seems like it's a an extension of that and just trying to turn a bug into a feature because one other piece of this that could be good for the long term is instead of a campaign being stood up and then taken down, uh, you know, every every four years. Instead, you could be building the infrastructure at the DNC, which could be used in future presidential campaigns and other campaigns. Yeah, I think that's a good argument for it. I mean, look, historically speaking, the DNC has been at times very effective and at times very ineffective. Uh, and I think that's kind of the challenge is, you know, when you start a campaign, you build it from scratch, you bring in all the leadership and all the staff and the culture. Uh, and sometimes it's harder to change the culture of a place that already exists. So that'll be that and coordinating with these state campaigns. Like if every state party was like Wisconsin, we would win 50 states, but it's not. The other, um, yeah. The other piece of this too is um, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, like these were, you know, people with long relationships with the broader Democratic Party. Uh, in 2008, Barack Obama is running an insurgent campaign, building his own organization, which mm-hmm. is a different thing. And so, yes, this works very well in a re-election bid for an incumbent Democratic president, but it'd be harder in future elections. Yeah. Well, and the other thing we, the only other thing we haven't mentioned is the uh, for an incumbent, the like the most important strategic decisions on a campaign still happen within the White House. So even though in 2012 we had a large sprawling organization in Chicago and all over the country, like David Pluff and you know, Pfeiffer and everyone else were still like in the White House and legally there, you can work on the campaign in your free time. And also there are many functions which just aren't technically, you know, one or the other. And so most of the high level strategic campaign uh, decisions were still made in the White House consulting the campaign. The concept of free time in a White House job is very funny. Also, federal campaigns, you get better rates on, on TV ads than like super PACs do, for example. And that's actually a big advantage down the stretch when it's a really crowded ad market. So we'll see how they handle that. What do you guys think of the argument that uh, North Carolina could be uh, could be the Arizona or Georgia of this cycle? You mean a place that keeps me up at night? Sure, it's in. I'm in. I'm in on it. The you know the I'd, I'd like to have one more state keeping me up at night. That just increases our odds. Yeah, I know. I'm saying uh, Biden like roughly have the margin in 2020 in North Carolina. One fact about North Carolina: they added about between 2016 and 2020, they added about two million new potential voters, both young people aging into the voting pool and people moving in from out of state. Like that has continued. And so every year, North Carolina starts to look a little bit more like, say, Virginia. Meanwhile, we're in a race to find states where we can win as things get harder and harder in some of the states we've talked about, like Ohio and other places like that. Yeah. So Obama won North Carolina in 2008. Biden lost by 1.4% in 2020. I'm very much in favor of, of playing offense there. I mean, Roy Cooper is a popular governor. He can't run again, but he's a known quantity and he can run around the state and make the case. North Carolina passed a 12-week abortion ban, which I suspect is very unpopular, and they might run uh, a uh, bona fide crazy person. 
named Mark Robinson for governor. He's currently the lieutenant governor, uh, and that might help. I, you're right, Lovett. There's been a lot of growth, population growth in urban and suburban areas that are favorable to Democrats. I did see some weird numbers about voter registration that were not good. Republicans have done better than Democrats in voter registration in North Carolina since 2020, so that ours have gained uh, 6,000 voters while Democrats lost more than 175,000. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. I don't either, but it, it there is a trend with a lot of these Southern states in voting registration where Democrats lose voters who are like, you know, Republicans, in every way but their party registration and mm-hmm. they finally switch over right yeah, yeah. It's just like the realignment there but I, I should look into that the interesting thing about 20 and biden doing better in 20 than 16 is trump had a much better electorate in north carolina in 20 than he did in 16 there was higher a yeah. higher percentage of yeah. republicans turned out there was higher white turnout and higher rural turnout uh, and he still did worse than he did in 16 against clinton and that was mostly because of these Democratic gains in, in urban and suburban counties, uh, which is where all the hope was always based in North Carolina, that the urban and suburban areas, the research triangle and everything, which is the population growth there would end up doing what happened in Georgia for Democrats. The Mark Robinson thing is also what I think Democrats are hoping for as a, for sure. as a nominee, just because he is, you know, you mentioned the 12 week abortion ban. He's for a total abortion ban completely. And he's opposed to same sex marriage. He's a kook. Uh, so he's a yeah, he's a legitimate kook. And so this, these are all reasons why it could flip the reason north carolina is so tough and has been so tough it is the second largest rural population in the united states right behind texas yeah and it's also really expensive i did not realize it was the fourth most expensive state in terms of ad spend for joe biden at the end of the 2020 campaign yeah 47 million dollars it's it is expensive and then in those rural counties right like democrats are going to continue to get crushed but if we get crushed less <laughs> then it's a huge deal and and Joe Biden in 20 a lot of the places that he won he just he he did less bad than Hillary Clinton did in some of these trumpier rural counties and you know we had Anderson Clayton on who's the uh young chair of the Democratic Party in North Carolina. And this is why part of her strategy is just like visiting every single rural county, trying to find every Democrat there and registering them to vote. But at this point in the campaign, you're going to tell reporters that you're going to compete 100% everywhere. But if we were giving uh, the Biden team truth serum, I bet they'd admit that down the stretch, maybe you peel back some spending from Florida, which seems a little tougher, unless they get one of those ballot initiatives on. They're trying to get uh, legalized marijuana and reverse the six-week abortion ban. That would, I think, change the political calculus in Florida. But absent that, Florida is a tough state. Yeah, and you'd want to... expensive. Uh, I'd rather compete in North Carolina than Florida. Yeah. By a lot. Let's, yeah. let's, let, let's listen to what Florida's been telling us. <laughs> they, they don't like us anymore. Uh, why do you think Biden's approval is still stuck in the low 40s, even though crime's down, border crossing's down, inflation's falling? Come on, isn't there morning in America? What's going on? <laughs> let's just hope polling's a lagging indicator. Yeah, that? that's possible. Also, people might people are probably still not feeling the uh, economic recovery from inflation just yet. I would say too. Yeah, the, the data is slowly trickling in. I mean, the hopeful answer is lagging indicator. There's all this good economic news. Uh, it'll take some time to seep in. The worrisome answer would be they have concerns about his age. For example, that's probably the thing you hear about the most from people in casual conversations. But and that's not falling. No, <laughs> no, that that that, uh, that number is not falling. No, no it's steady. It's, it's it's rising steadily. The uh, the other piece of it too is look, inflation coming down, very important. Inflation coming down doesn't suddenly make everything more affordable. It and it doesn't make things go back to how they felt in terms of how far your income could go six months or a year ago. It stops the pain. Yeah. It stops the change. Yeah, and I also think just on approval ratings, like 
polarization now means just uh, it, it's hard to see a president getting consistently uh, above mid 40s these days, even if your party supports you because the other party uh, does not <laughs> in yeah. any way, not as much as they as they used to it used to find like, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent of people in the other party who supported the president of the opposite party. And it's just not happening. Anymore. It is, you know, it, like and and the idea that, that like it's so polarized that basically Biden and Trump's approval rating both just hovered around 40. It's mm-hmm. just it's so. Uh, yeah. Uh, dispiriting yeah <laughs> but look it, the fact that i do think the fact that crime is falling board like all these all these republican tropes that they trotted out in the midterm and have for the uh, for the last couple years like i think it's worth the biden people like telling a good story about this stuff you know that like that, that crime is down that all that you know just because it, it it whether it changes minds or not like it certainly neutralizes an argument that you've heard all over fox right News. like whether you see it in the approval rating of Biden, that is a step removed from whether the arguments themselves are salient. And right. if the issues are not as powerful, then those arguments won't work as well. And you want to start setting the mood music, right? And you want to like, if you're the Biden campaign, the Democrats, you start telling a story that sort of uh, makes people feel a little bit better, or at least tries to. All right, before we go to break, two quick housekeeping notes. The Crooked Store has some new merch. Check out our Bros for Row collection of teas and koozies. Perfect for all you self-identified bros who support abortion rights. Like, love it. Yeah, I'm a bro for row. You're a bro. I don't call myself a bro. I know you're, like, very bro-y. Okay. Yeah, you're the, you're the biggest I'm bro the, I'm the us. biggest bro of the three of us, for uh, sure. <laughs> check out the Bros for Row collection at crooked.com slash store. Also... If you haven't yet listened to Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, you can now binge the entire series. It was named one of Vulture's best podcasts of 2023. Uh, The series covers the rise and fall of a small California desert city that was on the verge of collapse until a stranger came to town with a wild idea to make Adelanto great again, weed. It's got everything from greed and corruption to Mike Tyson and a Russian oligarch. Listen to Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto for free wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to Crooked subscription community friends of the pod for ad free episodes at crooked.com slash friends. When we come back, Tommy talks to Congressman Dan Golden. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. 
Dan Goldman is a member of Congress from New York and was the lead counsel during Donald Trump's first impeachment. Welcome to the show, Congressman. Thanks so much for having me, Tommy. Now, where you're currently in a car, a little behind the music here, where are you driving to? Um, I am driving around the district right now. Uh, nice. Had a, a New York City, had a meeting uh, with some 9-11 victims in Midtown and uh, on my way to Sunset Park for a uh, community event. Look at you. We're working every minute of the day, even <laughs> in the car. So all of us news junkies out here, we're kind of waiting to see if and when uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith will announce an indictment of President Trump for trying to steal the 2020 election. Folks might remember that. The January 6th committee in Congress spent a, a year and a half digging into this question and recommended uh, specific criminal charges to the Department of Justice. You worked on Trump's first impeachment. You were also an assistant U.S. attorney for many years. What kind of evidence do you think Jack Smith could have that the January 6th committee was unable to surface? That's a great question. And I think there will be a lot of new evidence. As you will recall, there were uh, several witnesses who refused to show up and testify mm -hmm. before Congress. Um, and they will not be able to do that this time. And I think there are a lot of rumblings about whether or not someone like Mark Meadows, who did refuse to testify, is now cooperating with the Department of Justice at a minimum. We know that he has testified. And so people like that who were very close to Donald Trump uh, will not be able to evade testifying as they were um, as part of the, the January 6th committee. The other thing that we know they've been able to get are uh, records with uh, attorneys. The mm -hmm. um, a number of witnesses or the January 6th committee, I should say, ran into roadblocks as it relates to attorney-client privilege and didn't have the time to litigate that. Uh, but the Department of Justice has a, a stronger position on and a strong, a better ability to get uh, information when they pierce the attorney-client privilege because of the crime fraud exception. So I would expect to see a fair amount more evidence uh, out of Jack Smith's investigation than we saw in the January 6th committee. God, it's amazing that we could we could learn even more, even though we've learned a lot so far. And not only that, we could learn more from people closer to Donald Trump. Right. Right. People who understand his frame of mind, things he was thinking and saying at the time in meetings, et cetera. Exactly. Talking about these cases is obviously complicated for President Biden, for the White House, for the campaign, because uh, they don't want to make it seem like this is Joe Biden going after his political opponent. Um, but members of Congress, other people in Democratic Party are allowed to say whatever they want. Obviously, there's First Amendment still. What do you think is the best way for Democrats to communicate about these cases with the understanding that there is a presumption of innocence in this country? Yeah, look, I think uh, Democrats uh, have been and will continue to be focused on buttressing our democratic institutions and the rule of law. And we've talked and a lot over the last several years about Donald Trump's attacks on our democracy. And this up forthcoming indictment may be the pièce de résistance of that because of an of an effort to overthrow and overturn an election. Um, but it is important for the court system to play, let the case play out. That is where the case should play out. Donald Trump is presumed innocent. He has a number of rights um, to confront witnesses, to a trial by jury, 
um, to uh, see the evidence against him and to be able to respond to that evidence. And there is a tried and true process that occurs in a courtroom that allows our system of justice to play out. And that is where it should play out. It does. It should not play out uh, on a political campaign and it should not play out in the halls of Congress. And so that's really at least what I've been focusing on is let's let the system play out. Let's focus on what the allegations are and what the proof is. Um, but the court of law is where this belongs, not the court of public opinion or Congress. Yeah, if only he would exercise his uh, his right to remain silent. I mean, th- but the challenge remains that we're looking at uh, trials that will likely start after most of the Republican nominating contests have already happened, potentially after the Republican convention officially nominates him, uh, if tr- Trump is able to delay the classified documents trial. I mean, how do you work with that as sort of the framework here where, yes, you're right that the courts are the proper place to adjudicate this, but voters might not have all the information they need to make a political decision before they have to vote? Yeah, that's the quandary is that um, there are political implications and ramifications to this. But just like Jack Smith, as the independent special counsel, uh, takes an oath not to consider the political consequences or the political leanings of uh, any case that he's involved in. Um, he also is not worried about the electoral process. And it is frustrating, I think, for a lot of Americans who would like to see this process play out um, quicker that it just takes time. And there's a, a reason why it takes time. Um, but it is frustrating and it may be very inconveniently timed uh, for the political process. And we're going to have to figure our way around that. So speaking of sort of uh, uh, solely political actors, Kevin McCarthy, uh, according to Politico, is uh, apparently supporting an effort or has promised Donald Trump to support an effort to expunge Trump's impeachments as part of some deal he cut for not coming out and endorsing Donald Trump in the Republican primary. McCarthy has since denied that there's some secret deal cooked up about these expungements. Have you heard anything about this? Do you think this vote will actually happen and would it go well for Donald Trump? Um, I have heard about this. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced one of them and Elise Stefanik from New York introduced another one. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that the Republicans recognize that the mark of impeachment is the political equivalent to a criminal record, which can be expunged. Unfortunately for them, there's no such thing in Congress. And they can do whatever they want, but it is a pure messaging uh, exercise. There is no such thing as expunging an impeachment. Um, And it would only just be a political talking point. He still would be Uh, twice impeached, uh, regardless of whether or not it is expunged. But the broader political point, which you just raised, which I think is a good one, is it will put a lot of Republicans in a very bad position if they bring this to the floor. Um, Mm -hmm. There are, as you well know, 18 Republicans in Biden districts, and uh, that is not going to be helpful for them to have to support. And obviously, if they do not support it, they will bear the wrath of Donald Trump. So I'm I'm very interested to see whether they bring it. I think it would be uh, politically stupid for them to do so. But um, that hasn't stopped a lot of what they've done thus far. 
you know, I don't think much of Kevin McCarthy uh, as a leader or a person, but I do respect the fact that he negotiated a deal with Donald Trump where he gives him something that doesn't exist. That is, you know, that's good. <laughs> good negotiating. It's pretty impressive. Changing gears here. So uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is unfortunately getting a lot of media attention lately by taking money from Republicans and then using it to pretend to run for the Democratic nomination for president. Last week, he appeared before the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, a committee uh, on which uh, you were lucky enough to be a member. Congrats. Uh, so the, the, the fact that RFK Jr. believes and spreads all these dangerous conspiracy theories has come up a lot. It's well known. I think less discussed, much to my frustration, is the fact that he, he seems to be literally a pathological liar. Like he lies <laughs> about everything all the time. You saw this firsthand. Like, How do you prepare for a hearing with someone like that? And why do you think Republicans wanted him there in the first place? Well, the, the the irony, of course, is he was ostensibly there because uh, he wrote a tweet in early 2021, January 2021, where he said that Hank Aaron died because of the vaccine when he had died from a heart attack. And there was, of course, no evidence at all that he died from the vaccine. And it was potentially very dangerous to tell many Americans that they can die from the vaccine. So the White House, someone in the White House sent an, uh, an email to Twitter effectively saying, hey, can you take a look at this and begin the process of taking it down under your terms and policies? Mm -hmm. Twitter did not take the tweet down. So this was ostensibly a <laughs> hearing on censorship Except, and he was he was brought in to talk about that, except he wasn't censored. So right. the irony of that is uh, says all you need you need to know. So he, they essentially gave him a platform to spew his lies, to spew his conspiracy theories um, with an with an idea of, of course, impugning Joe Biden, which is pretty much all they've tried to do uh, with these investigations. I, I, I think my view of it is that he doesn't have any credibility. I thought it was shameful that they gave him the platform of a congressional hearing mm -hmm. to spew his his misinformation and to some extent his venom. Um, you have a First Amendment right, but you do not have a First Amendment right to testify before Congress, nor mm -hmm. is Congress required to give you that platform. And so... Uh, no, I led a letter with uh, with Judy Chu, the president of uh, KPAC, the Asian Pacific Islander Caucus, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's also on the weaponization subcommittee, um, to uh, Speaker McCarthy and Chairman Jim Jordan to rescind the invitation. 102 people signed it in the span of about a day or two, um, and it just reflected I think the broad belief that this person does not warrant the platform of a congressional hearing. And I think that we saw a little bit of, of why that was last week. Yeah, we sure did. Um, speaking of things we, we all wish we hadn't seen, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene made some news last week by holding up sexually explicit images of Hunter Biden at this oversight committee hearing. Hunter Biden has been very open about his struggles with addiction, including on this show. He recently pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges. It still is not at all clear to me, however, what the connection Republicans are trying to draw between Hunter Biden, his business dealings, 
and Joe Biden, besides the fact that they're related and this vague suggestion that Joe Biden somehow profited from whatever work Hunter Biden was doing. Can you help us understand uh, those not like steeped in these hearings, what evidence has or has not been presented of such a connection, whether money exchanged hands, how you could hide that money from us, the public, when Joe Biden releases his tax returns every year? Like, what am I missing here? Uh, You're not missing anything. And it's a very short answer because there is none. There is nothing that connects Joe Biden to enter any of Hunter Biden's business dealings. And what ends up happening is that um, the Oversight Committee chairman, uh, James Comer, and others start talking about the Bidens, plural. And they start lumping Joe Biden in to their investigation, even though he's not on a single bank record. There's not a single wire transfer. There's not a single document that says that he was involved or benefited from, from any of it. And as I pointed out at our hearing last week, there's actually evidence to show that he was not involved and that mm-hmm. clearly unfamiliar with the Chinese company CEFC, um, which Hunter Biden allegedly got money from. And he had no idea who they were, what they were doing, and was clearly not involved at all in Hunter's business dealings. And yet, They continue to impugn the president falsely by alluding to evidence that does not exist. So, I mean, is there just nothing we can do about it? I mean, basically, the the oversight committee is going to hold these hearings. They're going to make specious allegations. And the best we can do is hope that uh, members of Congress like yourself correct the facts in real time and that it gets covered. Yeah, look, this is the political process that we are we're dealing with right, right now. I mean, when you see Marjorie Taylor Greene beclown herself by completely gratuitously and unnecessarily showing revenge porn during a congressional hearing, you learn everything you need to know about this Republican Party. I don't care what she was talking about. There is never a reason why you need to do that. And it was designed only to humiliate and embarrass Hunter Biden, who, as we all know, is a private citizen. He has never worked for the government. He does not work for the government in direct contradiction to the former president's children. And the notion that that would be fair game for an official proceeding in Congress uh, is despicable. But that's what we're dealing with. And ultimately, you know, you well know there is a political process. I would say that the ultimate accountability is at the ballot box and that if people do object to the Republicans going forward with this kind of misinformation, personal attacks um, and completely uh, unnecessary and wasteful uh, time and energy spent on investigations uh, that have no connection to any official uh, proceeding or any official purpose, then we should vote out Republicans. And if we can't vote out Chairman Comer because he's in a very safe red district district, or Marjorie Taylor Greene, we can vote out the rest of them and take over the majority. And then we won't have to deal with this uh, absolute buffoonery that we're uh, we're seeing. Yeah. 
Final question. Speaking of buffoonery, what do you think about the suggestion that Democrats should bring posters of hardcore pornography to every hearing to kind of <laughs> steal her thunder and make it less newsworthy? Is that something you're on board with? Uh, <laughs> I know you're joking. And, and I made uh, that out. Matt Gates would probably do it, I guess. You know. Yeah. Look, I, I, one of the things we are really trying to do is and I I'm focused very much on this since I'm on a couple of the investigative committees is we're trying to bring a sober analysis of facts and truth um and that we're we're really emphasizing that um we want to be the people that and the party that Americans can rely on to understand what is really going on and I'm not going to sit here and defend Hunter Biden's uh, tax issues. And he, to his credit, has accepted responsibility for them. And if there is a crime that anyone has committed, I believe they should be charged, Democrat or Republican. But when there isn't evidence to support allegations, and yet they continue to uh, go on and talk about these allegations that have no basis in fact, that is unacceptable. And we will consistently point that out. And we will point out that they are wasting their time with these investigations that are going nowhere rather than focusing on legislation that can help the American people. And that is the critical difference, I think, between Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, I I suspect that even most Republicans who saw that hearing were uh, confused and ashamed of the uh, people they elected to to go to Washington to represent them. But uh, Congressman, thank you so much for doing the show. Good luck at your uh, community meeting next. And thanks for talking to us. Thanks so much, Tommy. Great to be with you. Thanks to Dan Goldman for joining us today. We'll talk to you guys soon. Hopefully whenever we get an indictment. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producers are Andy Gardner-Bernstein and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Madeline Herringer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Mia Kelman, Ben Hefko, and David Tolls. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes, exclusive content, and other community events. Find us at youtube.com slash at Pod Save America.